I'm Christine. And I'm Alan. We'd like to thank you for tuning in to our discussion this week. Our hope is that we'll share some information that you'll find helpful. So now we invite you to join us as we together listen listen for for the the word. word. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our podcast today. We are continuing our look at the Gospel of John and in chapter 6 here. Today, uh, the Revised Common Lectionary is a little interesting. It actually cuts out a little section. So we're going to be discussing all of it, uh, thir- uh, verses 35 all the way through 51. But if you're looking at that lectionary passage, you'll see that, that it actually is, it cuts out and, and that begins with 41, has verse 35 and then skips to 41. So, um, Alan, why don't you start it off, start off um, just kind of putting this into the context of this five-week tour. Yeah, well, and uh, we, we are in the smack dab in the middle of our five-week tour through John chapter 6 that, that the lectionary takes every time we have year B. And as I've mentioned before, I think it's important for us to be reminded that John's account of the feeding of the 5,000 sets the stage for the Bread of Life discourse. And we're looking at the really the, the, the substance of that discourse this week. But I think it's crucial to keep that broader context of John 6 in, in mind, not only the feeding miracle, but also the dialogue that we took a look at last week. Uh, where the crowds asked Jesus about himself and about their response to God and asked Jesus to give them the bread from heaven as a sign so that they can believe in him. And, of course, you know, you, you already mentioned this, but I'm, I sort of feel like the broken record now. The lectionary <laughs> leaves out part of the story, verses 36 through 40, and it would seem that apparently the lectionary editor saw these verses as, yeah, as I redundant. Think that's what they I, I think I think. If you're going to leave out verses in John because it's redundant, you might leave out half of the gospel because <laughs> Very true. repetition is, is, is just part of the literary uh, design of John's gospel. <laughs> and of course, this first uh, verse 35, tell us about that. That actually is a repetitive uh, concept as well. Well, we, we, uh, we begin with the last verse of the reading for last week, and that's kind of what happens in the lectionary. They kind of overlap each mm-hmm. of these sections to some extent. And uh, so we begin with that verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I think it's interesting to note that in John's gospel, the language of coming to Jesus that is used here is, mm-hmm. is synonymous with believing in Jesus. And we find that elsewhere several times in John's gospel. Um, the only place that language of coming to Jesus has the same kind of connection as in, in the synoptic gospels is when Jesus said, let the little children come to me because mm, right. to such as these belongs, mm-hmm. belongs the kingdom. On the other hand, I think it's interesting that Luke specifically presents coming to Jesus as only one step that has to be followed by hearing and acting and mm. even making a sacrificial commitment to following Jesus in a couple places, especially Luke chapter 14. He has some things about the cost of discipleship there. Interesting. Yeah, interesting choice of language there. And I, um, that I'm kind of awakened to, I think it's really easy to, to miss that, mm-hmm. that nuance. And yet... Um, you know, as I'm thinking about this and what it means to believe um, and what belief is and, and what faith is, I think that's an interesting thing mm-hmm. to think about. Seems to be synonymous. Coming to Jesus and having faith in Jesus mm-hmm. seems to be used synonymously in John's okay. gospel. Okay, okay. We're going to see later on in this passage that that uh, John kind of fleshes it out a little bit more uh, than just coming. Mm-hmm. There, there's a little more involved in that. But uh, here, it's, it's, I think it's fascinating that just coming mm-hmm. to Jesus and believing in him are, are mm-hmm. put side by side as synonymous with one another. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so hang on to that, and uh, let's move on then to this, this 
this cloudy part, this part we don't know about so much. Yeah. Well, and one of the things really throughout this whole section, throughout John chapter 6, one of the things I find fascinating is the very concrete language used for salvation, using hunger and thirst Mm -hmm. as a basis for the offer of eternal life. And, of course, the whole chapter has language that refers to bread and and eating. But this is the only reference to being hungry in connection with eternal Mm -hmm. life. So, so we have bread and we have eating throughout this chapter, but this is the only place where it says, you know, they will not never, whoever believes, whoever comes mm-hmm. to me will never be hungry. That word hungry, this is the only place it's used. Now, one notable exception to that is found in Matthew 5, 6, right. in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And I would argue that the language, really, it should be translated justice, mm-hmm. and that hungering and thirsting for justice reflects the language of the kingdom. Right. That they're hungering and right. thirsting for God's kingdom to come. I don't know whether I would have automatically put those i mean i think i would have seen the the parallel in the language but i don't know if i would have put those similarly in terms of that that same sense of eternal salvation Mm -hmm. and and maybe that's part of my my thought anyway when i think of kingdom of god i mean Mm -hmm. there's there's more of an urgency i think you said right there this concrete language that Mm -hmm. that that reflects well and and we've said before you know that um Jesus' language for salvation in the Synoptic Gospels is the kingdom of God, right. and that gets translated in, in, in John's Gospel into eternal, eternal life. Eternal life, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Now, you know, the whole connection with food in John 6, I think, begins with the feeding miracle, yes. which spurs the crowd to seek after Jesus. And in response, Jesus himself initiates the comparison, the comparison of food with eternal yes. life. He says, yes. do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures, endures for eternal life which the son of man will give you and that's we saw that last week mm-hmm. in john six twenty seven. however throughout this chapter really i mean from beginning to end from from the from the time of the feeding of the five thousand to the end of chapter six people just consistently misunderstand what he's saying and they, sh- they their focus is on literal food yes yes and, and specifically the gift of they hear you know in, in we saw last week they specifically focused on the gift of manna or the bread mm-hmm, from heaven mm-hmm. But again, Jesus corrects them by connecting the analogy and identifying himself as the bread from heaven. He's the bread from heaven. It's not some literal food. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so he's the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, as, as was said earlier in John 6.33. Right. And interestingly enough, I, I think, you know, as I was reading through this, I did pick up on that whole... Um, feeding the whole food imagery the mm-hmm. the miracle first and then this next it's really space. quite unique yeah it is unique but i i think um i think even as a, a contemporary reader you, you almost need to be have this kind of pushed into the way that that the the it's done in the scripture that kind of the repetitive nature mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and the, this yeah. explanation your mind just says feeding that's only something i'm conceptual with with my body mm-hmm and eating, and then really to move that to that next space of spiritual food and spiritual stuff. I think I that's... Think, yeah, I think you're right. I think the repetition is intentional and meant to meant to try to drive the point home as much as possible, although it mm-hmm. doesn't ha- doesn't take effect with Jesus' original audience, but to drive the point home that he's not talking about right. physical food here, literal food. But I th- yeah, that's part of the part, part of the game, isn't it? I mean, a game, that's probably the wrong word, but but where these people listening it's part of the don't get it. It's the word part of the wordplay. Yeah. As we're listening... And looking in on it, and we're like, "Do I get it?" It's it's mm-hmm. almost like an aha moment of, "Oh, I I get it now." 
and because you keep citing something takes you back to the, mm-hmm. the, the those folks that don't get it and then oh but I get it now it's, it's about faith it's a yeah it's a mm-hmm. very it's a very it's, as you all know when you read John and you're the first read your mind kind of you know stops and you're just kind of embedded in this flow of words until it's, it's very deep theologically it's deep theologically and, and it's you know I think we said this before I, I used to know people in in church circles who would say that a person a new convert if they wanted to understand Jesus they should read the gospel of John right. I think that's exactly the wrong approach to take no uh, you're you're right <laughs> but yet there's this you know this this kind of nuanced beauty with John it's almost almost meditative you know mm. it, it kind of allows you to well it goes in deep words. into some of these issues some of the exactly. theological issues mm-hmm. that we're still wrestling with today exactly yeah. okay so we talked about food what about water well I think the language of being thirsty and the use of water for eternal life is one that we've encountered before in John's gospel you know in mm-hmm. response to the Samaritan woman at the well Jesus says those who drink of the mm-hmm. water I will give them will never be thirsty the water I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life in John four fourteen, we see something similar in John 7 37 um, I would say, nevertheless, I mean, even with water, even though we're more familiar with the concept of the water of life, I would say that this very concrete of use, language of using bread and water as an analogy for eternal life is relatively uncommon in the New Testament. We only find the bread of life, that phrase, the bread of life mm-hmm. here in the New Testament. Living water is found only in John 4 and John 7, and water of life is only found in Revelation mm. 22. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that this language has probably made its way into our faith and into our Christian imagination primarily through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And and we may expect it to be more common than it really is in the New Testament. I think, yeah, I think so. I, you know, it strikes me as part of John's approach, though, which is to give us these kind of tam- is, is, I think you said at the beginning, this concrete language, mm-hmm. these tangible Well, we've images. seen that already, you know, the sh- mm-hmm. I'm the good shepherd, you know, these exactly. kinds of things. Jesus uses that kind of language. Yeah, yeah. We're going to see later as we continue with our tour of John 6 that this is really going to play into a Eucharistic theology in yeah. John 6. Yeah. All right. So let's continue on. The next section here. Um, what, which, which, as you tell us, is a different direction. Yeah, the the section that the lectionary omits kind of goes off in a different direction from from thir- verse thirty five. That may be mm-hmm. why the lectionary editors omitted it. I don't know, but in contrast to his declaration about being the bread of life, um, here just he says that the people have seen him and yet do not believe, and in fact he frames this as something he has said to them implying a past tense, maybe that this has been an ongoing discussion with the crowd. And actually, in John's gospel, it is sort of an ongoing debate that Jesus has with the crowds and with the Jewish Mm -hmm. leaders. And perhaps in this case, John's gospel may be referring back to uh, John 5.40, where despite the fact that Jesus says that the works the Father had given him testify on his behalf, as do the scriptures, nevertheless, he says, you refuse to come to me to have life. Mm -hmm. And so again, notice how come to me and having life are are put together there. Um, and we've seen this before in John 10, you know, um, um, you know, there, there, there is this just kind of ongoing, uh, sort of, um, argument between Jesus and the crowds about himself. I was really struck by that play between the crowds and Jesus and that, 
John continues to remind us that the crowd mm-hmm. is there, continues to remind us the crowd doesn't really get it. And mm-hmm. as, as we will you know, get into here, tell us more about this, this kind of mixed bag of a crowd that we seem to yeah, have. That's right. Yeah. And, um, you know, as elsewhere, we've, we've, we've seen this already in the gospel, Je- Jesus sort of explains the fact that they, it seems to be in the next verse, I think in verse 39, he explains the fact that they um, refuse to believe in him by saying, everything that the Father gives me will come to me, um, and that it is God's will that he should lose nothing of all that he has given me. And he goes on to say that it is the Father's will that all who see the Son of Man, all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now, you know, it's interesting because most New Testament scholars see John's gospel as reflecting a realized theology. You believe mm-hmm. in Jesus, right. you have eternal life now. Right. And there, there are very few references to a future kind of uh, perspective on salvation like this i will raise them up on the Mm -hmm, last day mm -hmm. on the other hand that is the consistent perspective of the hebrew bible and really outside of john's gospel it is the consistent perspective of the new testament that eternal life is viewed as a resurrected physical existence not some sort of disembodied existence in heaven um but, you know, it, it might be more precise to, to keep that distinction in John's gospel to say that eternal life in John's gospel is a present gift. And here, the idea of being raised on the last day is a future gift that comes at the, at the new creation. And some would say this was added by maybe one of the, one of the final editors of the gospel, oh, and, mm. it, and it reflects kind of a tension with the original theology of, of the evangelist. But, mm. um, I, you know, I don't know how we would you know, determine whether that's true or false. I think it's just interesting to note that for the most part in John's gospel, you do have this idea that if you believe you have eternal life now, but there are these occasional references to a future uh, resurrection. Yeah, Yeah. interesting. Um, So tell us about the the language, this language that we see other places, this eternal life language, where else do we see that? Well, and he, he goes on and he also, he, you know, we, we've seen this in the Good Shepherd discourse, but in all of this, Jesus plainly insists that he had come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent mm-hmm. me. And again, that's a very consistent theme in John's gospel. Jesus is only doing the will of the one who sent him, only speaking the words that the one who sent him gave him to say. It is a, it is a very one of the, one of the major themes in mm-hmm. John's gospel and in John's presentation of Jesus. This is a very consistent thing throughout John's mm-hmm. gospel. Mm-hmm. So the, all of this all of this understanding of 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 you know those those who who come to me uh, will will believe those who have seen and yet the others have seen him and yet do not believe. You know it's 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 almost as if the rationale for that is you know the Father has given them to me and the ones that the Father gives to me they will come and um, I'm only doing the will of the Father. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then we get into where our electionary begins six forty one, and this is kind of this is kind of alarming. This kind of sets you into a different space. So tell mm-hmm. us about this. this is about the crowds again. Right. Well, given all that Jesus has to say about himself and eternal life, I think it's interesting that John simply remarks that the Jews, which in John's gospel implies the Jewish leaders, 
um, began to complain because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And when you think about that whole section of John John 6, 36 through 40, there's a whole lot more in there that they could have complained about. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, just the implication that he was doing the will of the Father and then the close association of himself with the Father, that, that would have sent, you know, all kinds of red flags going for the Jewish leaders of the day. But, um, uh, you know, it's ironic that in the first place we move from the crowd. Yes. At the, in the first part of, of John chapter 6 to the Jews or the Jewish leaders mm-hmm. as the counterpart to Jesus. And uh, one commentary I read said that basically this term shows up wherever Jesus' audience is hostile in John's gospel. Oh, now, well, Which I yes, think is interesting. That is interesting. But, but, but if you look at it, I mean, the, the whole nature of the dialogue between the crowd and Jesus throughout chapter 6 implies that they're a Jewish crowd from the beginning. I mean, right. they say he's the prophet after he right. feeds them. Right. They say our ancestors ate man in the wilderness. So, you know, it, right. it, it has. it's very clear that the crowd seems to have a Jewish flavor. Well, and then when you think about Jewish leaders, you know, to what extent do leaders kind of rally the crowd? So it becomes kind of the whole mindset. Of well, the crowd, and in my question, you know, in my mind, the question was to what extent were the Jewish leaders mixed in with the rest of the crowd? Well, yes. Maybe yes. some of these folks had had eaten the food, you know, and right. had seen the miracle. Right. Right. Uh, given this kind of disconnect, though, between John six thirty six through forty and verse forty one. Um, along with this sort of shift between the crowd and the Jewish leaders, it, it is entirely possible, I think, that we may be seeing a bit of a rough seam in the editing process mm. that produced the gospel in its yeah, final form that's, here. Yeah, that's possible. That, that is so interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 definitely, it's definitely cool. All right, so um, what, what's coming on next? What, what's the deal with the Jewish leaders? Well, the whole point of their objection is similar to that raised by the people at his hometown in Nazareth, which is interesting because you have the rejection of Nazareth in the Synoptic Gospels, not right. in John's Gospel. Right. The language is a little different, um, uh, but the gist is similar. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here it is. It has a uniquely Johannine twist. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? So the subject of where Jesus comes from right. is a subject of debate in John's gospel. Um, we see this in John chapter 7. Since the people know where Jesus came from, they say, well, he can't be the Messiah because apparently there was some legend that they would not know where the Messiah right. came from. Um, and so basically it is the claim that he has come down from heaven. That's a stumbling block since they, they believe, you know, that, that Joseph and, and, you know, they know his, his, his father, Joseph, and they know his mother. You know, this whole, so far, when we talk about, um, the bread and now we're talking about, there seems to be a disconnect for these folks between this kind of this kind of tangible, visible reality and then the spiritual reality. Yep. And it seems to be that same kind of problem. Yeah, it's like they consistently misunderstand him by taking him way too literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I've never heard that before. But, but I mean, you know, in a, very real, I mean, in a real, very real sense, I mean, Jesus is the one who has come from heaven because he is the one sent by God. And this is the claim that he continually makes throughout John's gospel. But they, they say, you're, you know, you're not from heaven, you're from Nazareth. Right. <laughs> and right. I think it's kind of an overly literal, you know, they, 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 can't, they can't see the force for the trees. So so to speak, you know, yeah. it's an overly literal read on who yeah, Jesus it, was. Exa- it, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it, it's kind of just a reminder. It's just, there's not getting it. You know, it yeah. just keeps 
keeps keeps being a yeah. It's a, it's almost like the crowd plays the role of the disciples in Mark's gospel. Yeah, it, it, well, that's a good point. Uh, yeah, yeah, interesting point. Okay, so moving on, um, what what happens next? Well, again, Jesus sort of reiterates. He sort of states a negative side of what he has said earlier. Earlier, he said, "Everything the Father gives me will come to me." Now he says, "No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father mm-hmm. who sent me." And so it, it's sort of the negative side of what he's already uh, affirmed, you know, mm-hmm. that basically in John's gospel, the sole initiative in salvation is the will of the Father. Uh, we, we, I recall John 1.13 where it talks about, you know, the, the prologue talks about how people can become the children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then also, you know, John... Jesus himself uses this language in John 12, 32. He says, when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And so in John's gospel, that language of drawing seems to be something mm-hmm. that's exclusively God's prerogative. Okay, okay. Um, and then uh, moving on to this more, how, he, he, how does he... he how does he support his own claim? Yeah, he supports it by citing scripture here, which is a bit unusual um, in the Gospels. But here he cites Isaiah mm-hmm. fifty four thirteen. There may be also a similar citation from Jeremiah. Um, All your children shall be taught by the Lord. And in the context of Isaiah 54, it's part of the restoration that God mm-hmm. was promising mm-hmm. to the people of Jerusalem. Now, here, John's Gospel only quotes a part of it. They shall all be taught by God. And I, I, I find it a bit unusual because usually citations from the Hebrew Bible and the gospel tradition support claims about Jesus, and these citations are brought up by the evangelists. Mm-hmm. Only one other time does Jesus cite a, a, a passage from the Hebrew Bible in John's gospel mm-hmm. explicitly. That's in John ten thirty four, And in the synoptics, the only time Jesus does so outside of Matthew and Luke's temptation narrative which may be kind of a hint to that, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is is when he's cleansing the temple. In Matthew and, and, and Luke, um, Jesus cites, you know, that, that this shall be a house of prayer for all nations, oh, but right. you have made it a den of thieves, right. combining a quotation from Isaiah and Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it seems that Jesus rarely cites Scripture to support himself. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and yet here in John's gospel, we have one of the two citations that Jesus makes from the Hebrew Bible. Well, is this significant? Well, I think so. I mean, and, and uh, because you just don't find that much mm-hmm. in the rest of the gospel tradition. Uh, in John's gospel, Jesus is more likely to refer to Scripture and to, and to talk about Scripture as, as bearing witness to him um, because there seems to be almost this apologetic motive going on. Mm. Um, but um, it just doesn't seem that Jesus uh, went there that much. Mm-hmm. That wasn't his appeal. He, he taught on his own authority, in a sense. Right, right. And, so, why, and, I mean, why... Why does John include it? I mean, maybe it's just because of the experience, or I think I think this goes along with sort of the um, the whole uh, sort of narrative uh, strategy of John's gospel, because part of the part of that strategy is to show that Jesus is fulfilling Scripture in a yeah. variety of points, and and of all the gospels, uh, you know, John seems to emphasize this most. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that's helpful. 
Um, Although it's 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 a little bit it's a little bit subtle, you know. We might think it was Matthew because it's a it's a very yeah, explicit I, that theme would, in Matthew. It is. It, it it's is. a very explicit theme in Matthew. John works it in sometimes as as if we looked at John's passion narrative, we would see a, a lot of of allusions to Hebrew Bible passages in in John John's passion narrative. So so. That's where it really comes out in allusions in John's gospel, yeah. more so in citations. It, yeah, well, and interesting. Well, and of course, and you said, this is Je- rarely does Jesus cite mm-hmm. scripture, whereas Matthew, as you said, the evangelist, he's doing Matthew will say, time. Jesus did this to fulfill, fulfill what was this. written. Right. But yeah, right. so, right. I mean, it is a different space. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a different space. It very, it's, it's, it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, moving on. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, here, John... John has Jesus expand on what he said earlier about those who come to him. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it was just those who come to him are those who believe in him. Here, um, uh, Jesus uh, says those who come to him in faith are those who have heard and learned from my Father. So it seems that it seems that Jesus is kind of expanding on this language of coming to Him mm-hmm. as being equivalent to faith. Uh, those who come to Him are those who have heard from my Father and have learned from my Father. Mm-hmm. So basically, the message has taken root to some extent. We might say using more more the language mm-hmm. of the synoptic Jesus. One of the things that um, we see in here is this idea of seeing God. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in the Hebrew Bible, it's sort of a commonplace that no one can see God's face and live, even though there are several notable exceptions to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I think Jesus is repeating the claim that he's not simply the son of Joseph, but rather he is the one who has come from God and he has seen the father. Mm -hmm. And I think he's, he's alluding, you know, there, there are a number of places in John's gospel where Jesus alludes to the glory he had with the father Mm -hmm. before he, he came came to, right. to minister and and I think this is one of them I mean he, he he's basically saying you know I am I have come from God I have mm-hmm. not come from I do not come from Nazareth I, I do I am not the son of Joseph I am the one who has come from God mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, but we're starting to hit to the end of the of the passage for the day. Um, and how does he end it? Yeah, he sort of winds up the bread of life discourse by, again, repeating several points. Number one, whoever believes has eternal life. This is something that's come up several times, but I think the repetition makes it clear that he's talking about faith here. Eternal life is, is connected to faith. That's in verse 47. He reiterates that he's, I am the bread of life mm-hmm. in verse 48. Again, in case anybody missed it, he's saying, I'm the one who gives yes. you this bread that gives you eternal life. Um, number three, he, 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 he reminds them again that your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. So the, the manna was not the bread from heaven that gives eternal life. Right. In verse 49. And then in the fourth point that he reiterates is that this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. In mm-hmm. other words, he's talking about himself. He is the one who gives this kind of life. Mm-hmm. And so finally, he concludes with the summary I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And again, it's just kind of, of a summary that kind of wraps up the, mm-hmm. the gist of the whole bread of life discourse. Mm-hmm. Again, the subject is eternal life. 
But the fact that Jesus is using bread as an analogy for eternal life continues to confuse the crowd because they continue to think of literal food. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. in fact, we, we see that fairly clearly when Jesus clarifies at the end of verse 51, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And as we'll see next week, the Jewish leaders will take great offense at this. Yes, yes. We have to hang on to that for next week. Yep, that that's right. juicy tidbit. Okay, good. And... Um, and so what, and, and, and then obviously part of this will lead us to the sacrament of Lord's yes. Supper. You're all hearing it in there. Um, I'm not going to talk about it today, and I don't think Alan plans on no, it either. But, no. um, but next week <laughs> really is where we yes. get into the heart of the, of the language of John chapter 6 yeah. that really points us toward the sacrament of the yes. Lord's Supper. There are hints in this part of right, it, right? I agree. But it's going to be become very much explicit in the next segment, and it will provoke a serious falling away on the part of many who followed him up to this point yeah. in John's Gospel. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, and we'll be back in just a little bit. Thanks. Hi, friends. We're back, and we're going to ask Christy to shed some light on how the Reformers dealt with this passage. So, Christy, take it away. Yeah, sure. I identified several just general points that they made. Some of them are more theological. Some of them are just observations about the text, but they seem to be kind of consistent. And um, this didn't have kind of the, the debate that you think it might have at this point in terms of like, a Eucharistic theology and so forth, um, as, as Alan pointed out earlier, that really comes later, and I think it does for the Reformers as well. So at this point, folks are kind of on the same page. But one of the big, the big questions here was um, your choice to believe, you know, your free choice. And, of course, what I found here was just really what I would consider an, an incomplete theology from all of these folks. There seems to be a, an agreed-upon sense of that there's some freedom in this, and yet at the same time, um, it's also kind of determined. And they, I, I will have to say nobody does satisfactorily um, answer the theological questions. The only person, and I think we've discussed before, that even gets gets there to trying to make sense of all this is Calvin. Mm. So you feel like when you're reading, especially more modern folks like us, that they just really haven't developed this yet. So Mm. um, it's it's a bit frustrating, um, a bit frustrating to go there. But there seems to be um, a big debate about um, what it means to be drawn to Christ and whether you have a choice to do that. And sometimes I read this stuff and I think, Everybody has this choice, and it kind of rings of universal salvation that everybody everybody will get there. And then other times, it's just the opposite, and it almost has a predetermined sense. I think the thing that comes through the most is that they don't want you to focus on the idea that not everyone might be saved. In other words, if you have faith, you need to have confidence that you are saved. Mm. And um, it's it's really our kind of... Um, skepticism that emerges in the modern era that leads us to think, well, who are those damned people out there and can we see those damned people? They are looking at this only in terms of joy mm-hmm. and in terms of if you have faith and you're drawn to Christ, you you can have confidence you're saved. You don't have to be feel that you're damned. And that's really the good news of the Reformation. And I found that just so interesting because, again, my modern brain wants to go, but what about those who don't believe? What about those who aren't drawn? 
Um, what about those who um, pull away? And I think it's, um, as they're working with this word drawn, I think um, the big question mark there is what does it mean? What does to draw mean? And um, they were suggesting um, a, a drawing like an irresistible it's irresistible to be there, you know, like, like, like eating something that, that you just love how it tastes. You just have to eat it mm. or that kind of thing. And it has this very positive sense to it. You know, when you really love somebody and you just have to be with that person, it's yeah. that kind of draw that is there. Not like a, like, not like a magnet to iron, you know, they're mm. like, <laughs> that's not it's something more organic. There's kind of a choice with it, but there's not a choice. Mm-hmm. And they're mm-hmm. trying to put this into words, but they, they are really struggling. And I just found this. Well, they're, they're wrestling with God's sovereignty versus human freedom. It, and exactly. they, they don't know how to articulate that, apparently, at this point. They do. Uh, my opinion is they do not. I think that it's, um, I think that it's really, uh, they're really mixed about it. And, it's, and And again, I'm kind of lumping everyone together, but it just became really kind of, a complete space throughout it. Um, and um, there's, you know, there's like Melanchthon, for example, he argues that the only only ones that are enabled to see Christ actually come to Christ. Well, how, how are you able to see Christ? And so um, it's this... Uh, it's this strange sense, but, but, but there's definitely an overall sense that Jesus and the Father really want to save human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and again, in our modern sensibility, we, we question that sometimes, mm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think there's this whole sense of, you, know, you see some of these really, really uh, separatist groups think, well, we're the only true Christians and everyone else there is damned and the world is damned. And, well, or yeah. you just take a look at the state of human experience right. in the world, and you know it can be pretty sad. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now, this is all set against point two was the omniscience of God, and there's an overall understanding um, in this 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 piece here um, that those who are murmuring against Jesus um, is of no supplies to Jesus that He knows all, and frankly. Um, reflect the same sins as those before him. Um, it, it seems a bit confusing, but it seems that Jesus and the Holy Spirit still have work at drawing human beings to him. So this is, this, again, so God knows everyone who's going to be saved, but yet there's this, this, this drawing in that seems to have some human responsibility to respond to. Mm-hmm. It, and I, I, I just don't feel that they have been able to articulate it in any good way. God well, knows. you know, in, in the context where I um, sort of cut my theological teeth in the Baptist world, they, they weren't comfortable with any kind of predestination language to describe God's sovereignty. They were comfortable with uh, foreknowledge. Yeah. And, and it's interesting that, that some of the reformers are in that space here. They're okay with God knowing all. They're not, they don't seem to be very comfortable with the language that, that God is responsible for yeah, the salvation yeah. of all, and of, I th- ultimately. And I think that's where these folks are at. You know, there's in our minds, if you believe this, well, then doesn't that take you to this next step of predeterminism? And in mm-hmm. my own work with theology, this has been something I've, I've struggled to articulate because I don't like that either, because mm-hmm. I think that that has a whole nother set of problems with it theologically. And yet, so I've kind of adopted the good Presbyterian providence, which I, I do like. And yeah. there's this kind of broad overall uh, purpose of creation and, mm-hmm. and, and beginning and, and, and end of creation that, that ends up in God. 
but when you get down to that individual space there, you know, and, sure. and the murmuring of the crowd against Jesus, well, there's, you know, what's going on there? And, and Well, and I will say that modern commentators also will point to the, the people of Israel in the wilderness murmuring or complaining against Moses, and, and there's, that becomes sort of a theme in the Hebrew Bible mm. and the Psalms, you know, as, a, as an expression of, un, of unbelief. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it also, to me, just reading, kind of maybe I'm reading into what they said, it seems to be uh, how they feel about, about sin working in and amongst people, you know, mm. and that it can spread and that, uh-huh. and that there's this kind of discussion and, 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 and kind of play into the crowd with that as Almost well. Almost like a contagion, you like know, a once contagion. it starts, it yeah. spreads. Yeah, yeah. so that's stop, and that, that's causing you to, to pull away. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also some discussion amongst these people how this crowd was a mixed crowd, and mm-hmm. I think that's interesting as well. That, that In other words, people of faith and people who didn't have faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah wow. exactly. So some interesting points. Mm. So another general point was the concept of spiritual eating, um, and um, <laughs> this, is, this is a major theme, that those who believe in Christ have eternal life. Christ gives life to those who eat him <laughs> by uniting <laughs> themselves to him through faith. Um, and so this is that whole idea of what does it mean to eat spiritually? And this, of course, eventually, you know, you can kind of see in the future what this means for the Eucharist, right? Um, and well, um, we're going to go into that more detail with that from John's gospel uh, next week. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we'll, we'll, we will get there. However, I think it's important at this point, they are claiming this is not sacramental language mm-hmm. and and really they agree that we're not there but it does have murmurings towards that is what um you know spiritual food martin luther says spiritual food nourishes the soul and quote this is a spiritual thirst and hunger for which we need a spiritual meal and drink well and of course uh, that's language right out of the reformed tradition for for the sacrament of the lord's supper right exactly <laughs> so, exactly <laughs> it, it, it's funny mm-hmm. that they deny that it's sacramental but then they turn right around exactly. and articulate a reform conception uh, uh, of the exactly, sacrament. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I know, isn't it? It, it, it is. Um, and um, the, the physical body is figurative, and, and, and they seem to, by and large, agree with that. And even those who will develop this, you know, ideas of transubstantiation later on, um, they still understand that there's a spiritual element mm. here they don't see this as being trans uh, as being supportive of transubstantiation well uh, they they may but they they don't want to completely draw that away from mm. th- that there's a spiritual necessity to it yeah. in other words um, well and we'll see next week that some of the language jesus uses goes count c- completely against that exactly and and there's definitely um there, there's definitely a sense that yeah there's a there's a there's a spiritual um, uh, spiritual acceptance or a spiritual space in the Eucharist, even even when you get in, even to when you get into some of the Roman Catholic theology, mm-hmm. and I think you do see a divide between some of the theology and then some of the kind of uh, practical, um, maybe we should say lay theology that goes on mm-hmm. that 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 doesn't that it becomes more of a, a ritualized uh, more of a, a physical to do sure. than it is really what's happening in the get spiritual my, realm get my piece of god in my mouth exactly yeah, exactly yeah. um 
So interesting. And continuing on then with eating, what is the bread? And mm. and no surprise, bread is what sustains and nourishes. And Johannes Ecolampadius, my favorite, um, uh, argues that the bread is heavenly and provides for eternal life, but wants to make a big differentiation between that and the manna, which we've already talked about. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I mean, Jesus is making a big distinction between that in exactly. this chapter too. Exactly. Um, so people who ate the manna would die, but those who would eat the bread of Christ will not die. Um, the bread of Christ is eaten for the benefit of life of the Spirit. And again, not sacramental bread, and most of the Reformers don't spend a great deal of time tying this specifically to the Eucharist. Mm. Um, so, again, another... Well, and again, as I, as I said before, I think up to this point, the hints of... of of pointing toward the sacrament of the Lord's Supper are, are just that, they're hints. But in, as we exactly. look next week, the section of John 6 that we get to next week, it becomes a lot more becomes obvious. It becomes a lot more obvious, yeah. exactly, exactly. Now, I, I want to pull out Calvin, and Calvin becomes important next week, and this, I think, is really what starts to divide Calvin off from somebody else um, because he is one of the first to start to, start to push this idea of making sure that what happens in the Eucharist ties in to the broader theological schema, which ties into even this passage. So while the rest of them are like, oh, this isn't really sacramental language, Calvin is like, look, we have to have something that pulls all of this together so that we understand what salvation means and we understand um, how how we are saved Mm -hmm. and and he's like you can't have these pieces of things out there without having some kind of unified theological scheme which of course we know calvin attempts to do and he's really the first one to do it on any large level and of course we have continued to pick holes in it people continue to do it today but calvin is the one that says look we've got we we have to understand fully understand fully how we're saved and fully who god is we have to try to put this into some broad concept of God working in the world, and that's Calvin. And so... Um, well, as, a, as you talk, I mean, this may not be right, but it almost it's almost like some of the other reformers are also o- giving this passage an overly literal read, and Calvin is sort of seeing behind, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the literalism of the analogy of bread and eating and mm-hmm. recognizing the true spiritual significance yeah. of what Jesus is saying here. Exactly. And so Calvin pulls out, he says, look... There's this process by which in the Eucharist, eventually you are going to eat it. And what does that mean? You know, is that, is that practice of the church something completely separate from this, from this type of language where we start to talk about the bread of life? Where we start, and, and how does that impact us? Um, and so, you know, he's like, this is going to be the seal. This, this, it, it doesn't in itself convey that, but yet mm-hmm. it, 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 it seals the belief. And so this... Yeah, the sacrament doesn't convey faith, but it seals faith. Exactly. Yeah. And so there's this whole discussion in Calvin about, about, about faith. Um, the practice of eating is not the faith, but rather the fruit of faith. Mm-hmm. So again, and that's, that's a huge shift um, from, mm, from, that's interesting. Yeah. It's, 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 you're, you're, it's, so it becomes something, it becomes a, a ritual that you do that, that's a seal, a reminder. And it, it's a sanct, something that, that builds 
sanctification that mm-hmm. the, the where you grow in the faith through this it's really quite beautiful theology when you think about it well and i think it's i think a lot of people realize that that the eucharist plays a very significant role in calvin's theology absolutely um, i you know I, I i i was reflecting on my practice for years i've had an open table and I've, I've invited all who would trust in Jesus. Yes, to I me, know I that. I see it as yes. kind of an evangelistic invitation mm-hmm. that if I you agree. want to trust in Jesus, come take the come meal. Come and take it. And, and so I guess from one side, you could say that as, as I'm inviting people to faith by taking the meal. But I guess on the other hand, you could say... If they, if they come and take the meal, that means they've already decided in their hearts to have the faith, and so it's a seal for their faith. So I don't know. Yeah, you could, well, but you could look at it both yeah, ways. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting space, isn't it? Yeah. When, when you think about that, when we get when we get there, and uh, there's something about you know the the Presbyterian tradition. When some people who aren't in the Presbyterian world go, oh gosh, you only only have communion once every so often, and mm-hmm. because it's a big deal, it's a it's it's a banquet. It's a celebration of the body of Christ. It's it's something to 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 take seriously because it's a, it's that seal of your faith. It's it's, sure. it's it's and instead of something you do because it gives you faith, right? right? And I, I will say though that one of the churches I pastored when I was in Houston uh, at that time observed communion every Sunday, and I don't know if it's the the, the problem is the size of the church and getting the elements ready. I don't know what it is in the Presbyterian world. I know there are some Presbyterian churches that do observe it weekly. It never got old to me. I right. never got rote. I agree. It never got stale to me right. to come to the come to the table of Christ. And and I, I loved that. I did too. And I, I actually was at a church that did one service where they'd served it every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then the second service, they didn't. So it just depends. And, and actually, Calvin thought that was fine to do yeah, it every... He, right. he thought that would be a good practice. But I think the point is that you don't have to. Right. And, that, and that's what I'm trying to get at here, is you don't have to right. do it. And right. when you do do it every Sunday, it needs to ha- reflect of that specialness. Mm-hmm. It is not something that you just do because it gives you faith. Right. It's something you do out of faith. Right. And, and, and that's an, an interesting theological shift, but really huge, I think. Mm. And then finally, and the last point was maybe smaller, but just talking about the repetition of Christ um, in, in John. And, um, you know, it's why must Christ repeat and reminder that Christ alone can give life living bread. Um, and again, I think it's this, it's this constant response to the, the level of disbelief that we continue mm-hmm. to hear in, you know, we keep hearing the crowd, we keep hearing the disbelief and it's this reminder over and over. It's part of that aha I talked about earlier from the repetition. Well, and it sounds like he continues to reach out to them and try to draw them, mm-hmm. you know, to faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of, kind of like course, hitting someone I, over the head. I would just say, I would just say, welcome to John. I mean, this is just, this is just John. Yeah, <laughs> this well, is Jesus in John's gospel. Well, even though John, they separate from their harmony. Right. They still have to have some explanation right. for that, right? right. And somewhere in their mind is it still has to make sense. So that's what, and I just thought that was interesting how it came up enough that I had to mark, put it on my list. Right, so, that's cool. Yeah, so that's what I have for today. All right, we'll thanks, Christy. Later. Yeah. Hi, everybody. We are back, and... Ellen and I thought it might be nice to talk about this concept of being drawn to Christ and uh, what does that what does that mean? 
Yeah. So I'm going to let Alan talk about it here. Well, I have a couple of thoughts and a couple of different directions to take with it. And, you know, I mean, we're really talking about, um, uh, you know, it's clear that the New Testament affirms that God takes the initiative in salvation. And so this is an aspect of God's sovereignty. I think it's equally clear in the New Testament that whosoever will may come, you know. And, and I know that part of the dialogue over this in theology over the, over the years has been, it's been sort of a, which one do you emphasize more? Do you emphasize more God's sovereignty and salvation or do you emphasize human freedom and salvation? And mm-hmm. different theologians fall off on one side or the other. I, I would rather try to just keep them in tension with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, tension. I really like that. That the, there's always a tension. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I found in in my preparation for today was a sort of a bit of a dialogue um, between a couple of German New Testament scholars, Rudolf Bultmann and Ernst Hainchen. Uh, Bultmann wrote kind of a seminal commentary on John's gospel. Yes, and, he did. And he, did. he says he says there that the drawing by the Father occurs not as it were behind man's decision of faith, but in it. Now he wrote his commentary in the 30s, so he's right. not using gender inclusive language there. But it, in other words, it's it's a part of the process. And he wants to say that the everyone, right, everyone mm-hmm. indicates that it's not you know limited. Um, Hainchen, on the other hand, pushes back and says, you know, the thought in John's gospel is, is that not everyone has the possibility of hearing the Father, mm-hmm. and only those, only those whom the Father has given to Jesus are the ones who right, hear the Father. Right. And so the determination of eternal life and death does not lie with the decision of a human being, but rather with the decision of the Father. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, that's beyond our conceptual powers. And, and yet... You know, to me, those are sort of the two poles, you know, either it's all God or it's all human. And, and, and yet to me, I want to say it's both and, and, and how the two work is a total mystery. Right. And and I think we should talk more in terms of how we experience it, not so much the theoretical theology behind it. I don't think the theoretical theology gets at the point. (laughs) One of my favorite, and so this is the second idea I think I came to, and that one of my favorite um, places that talks about this, I think, in, in, in the New Testament is in Luke 24, where the disciples on the road to Emmaus oh, say yes. to one another, were not our hearts burning mm-hmm. on the way as he opened the scriptures to mm-hmm. us? And to me, that sort of that burning heart kind of thing, yes, that, that yes. passion that arises in your heart, that 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 is a kind of, uh, you, you do feel drawn. You feel drawn. You and can't, then, yeah. What other language can you use for it? I don't know. I mean, there's lots of ways you can describe it. Right. We feel led. We feel called. We feel uh, convicted. Right. You know, there's been right. all kinds of language to describe it. But I think it's that it's that experience of, of just knowing God's love and realizing God's love and just recognizing you know, this is something I need and I don't want to live without this. Right, right. And, and exactly. And I think there's all kinds of ways that's manifested. You know, Calvin talks about that, even though you may not have the full truth. If you go look at a sunset and how are you not drawn at that beauty? Mm-hmm. You just have to keep looking at it. Mm-hmm. And he says, this isn't the fullness of God, but this is like a, a glimpse of who God is. And I think... I think there's a sense of, of, of that drawing in something like that. Um, sure. 
Well, and I think that makes me think of Thomas Aquinas. You know, his his um, his um, what have been mislabeled his proofs of the existence of God. Really, he called them aids to contemplation. Mm-hmm. Aids to contemplation. I think that's a significant difference. There's a diff- significant difference between proofs of God's existence and aids mm. uh, aids to contemplation, because you know the idea of thinking about a first cause of all things can can you know bring about this sort of spiritual sense of wow there's this mystery mm-hmm. behind it all and it's bigger than me but yet there's something about it that draws me to it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and and that's true for all of all of uh, Aquinas's uh, so-called proofs they're not proofs they're aids to contemplation oh, yeah. Yeah. just like a sunset can right. be that way mm-hmm. or you know the beauty in nature or mm-hmm. human love the, mm-hmm. the beauty of human love or mm-hmm. um, you know just the knowledge of Christ's um, you know, uh, love for us that that He gave His life for us. Mm-hmm, you know, these mm-hmm. are things that stir our hearts, yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. lead us toward that that place where we want to we want to be a part of this experience. We want to go deeper into that experience. Exactly, exactly, and uh, I, that's huge. And, but on the other side of this, I think there's this space that we're the, in our creation that we are a bit able to try to block it out. I, don't, I we think can. we still crave it. I think it's still there. And mm-hmm. I think, th- and, and to me, that's, that's kind of that, you know, a lot of those folks are out there and they're, they're disbelievers and they, they don't. And I usually like to start with somebody who says, oh, I, I don't believe in God. Um, I don't, it's all myth or whatever they believe. And then I said, so let's start because everyone believes in something. Mm-hmm. And then when you finally dig a, around to what they believe, it's really that manifestation of God. It's really sure. that that drawing in. They just have it directed somewhere else. And Everybody has something bigger that they, that, that's something, some bigger mystery that they recognize mm-hmm. in, in reality. Whether you call it the fabric of the cosmos or whether you call it the interconnectivity between all things and all people, mm-hmm. whatever you call it, there is a big mystery that's out there that people are drawn to. Exactly. And, and so I think that's always a starting point for mm-hmm. these people. You know, they, they kind of draw into, oh, I'm an atheist. And I'm like, so what do you believe in? You know, mm-hmm. I don't believe in anything. Well, but you just told me you believe you're an atheist. I mean, right. <laughs> you obviously believe something. Right. <laughs> so what does that mean? What does that mean? You, um, know? you know, not everybody knows this. I listen to a Buddhist podcast and I've been sort of a, a, a sort of an amateur student of Buddhism for, for many years. And, you know, um, many forms of Buddhism are technically non-theistic. Right, right. But there, there, there is this beautiful concept in, in Buddhism where they believe that all things and all people are interconnected and interdependent. And that interconnectivity is sort of the big mystery mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. In, in, their, in their worldview. Uh, and I listened to this Buddhist uh podcast and I'm I'm constantly amazed this is a fellow who teaches from Palo Alto California and he's a he's a very good teacher I you know he's somebody that I listen to I'd love to know him I'd love to be be a friend of his I think he'd, he'd mm-hmm. be a great friend um, you know he he he's not anti 
you know, anti-theism. He's just, he's a Mm non-theist. And yet I, I just find myself thinking over and over again, you know, the things that he refers to from a, from his framework, you know, I, I want to say, yeah, that's what we believe God is. <laughs> yeah, yes, right, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I find the funniest. I thought it was funny. I shouldn't say that, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but um, it was it was the organization of atheists, the organization people that don't believe. Um, and I thought, well, you obviously believe in each other enough to join this group. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you obviously are looking for some kind of connectivity in your, I right. guess, disbelief, which right. I just wish it, it just it's, it just seems to be this hunger in that in that space. Well, right? and it's almost as if it's almost as if some folks, you know, they almost take take things too literally because it's like they don't have any room. They don't have any room to think that you can be a believer and a skeptic. Yes, exactly. A lot of these folks pride themselves on their skepticism. Yeah. And, you know, I have, I have always called myself a believing skeptic. Absolutely. You know? In fact, I think, I think that's how we're called to be. I think we're, yeah. I think as we renew our minds and, and, and this, this call from Paul, you know, um, uh, that's renewing of your minds mm-hmm. is central to saying, look, you should be asking questions all the time. You should be renewing. You shouldn't just take things at face value every sure. time, but you have to constantly study, constantly process, constantly ask questions. So to me, that's, that's the call of our, of our faith. I agree. I think a lot of people, they, they kind of mix, mix the categories. You know, to me, what we can know is what we know cognitively, what we know experientially, what we can demonstrate. You know, that's knowledge. Uh, faith is a different kind of knowing mm-hmm. altogether. It's a whole different category. And I can, I can, I can keep, I can keep the two. I mean, they're, they're inter- they can be intertwined, but they, you know, they're not necessarily distinct from one another. But they, they are different. And and so there are things that I don't know, and I don't think anybody can know. And <laughs> right. so I'd be right there with some of the, some of those atheist folks saying, "Yeah, I agree. You yeah, know, you can't know that. Can't, you know? Exactly. But exactly. that doesn't mean I don't believe in God, or I don't I don't have faith right. in 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 the love of God that I believe is going to transform all things and all thing all people. Well, I think I think in their minds is they're looking for this kind of tangible proof Mm -hmm. you know they're looking for this for what cannot be proven what cannot be proven (laughs) exactly and and to me they're they're asking they're they're kind of looking in the wrong places for Mm -hmm. what they're so hungry to find and you know i think today's today's scripture really kind of plays to that well it does i mean that's the whole focus is Mm -hmm. is you know um you don't find life eternal in any kind of food substance, whether it's miraculous or not. And, you know, you don't find it in the manna in the wilderness. You don't even find it in the loaves and fish that were, you know, multiplied to feed a multitude. You find it in faith in, in Jesus and you find mm-hmm. it in faith in God. And, and that's just, that's where it is. That's where it is. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a wonderful way to round out our conversation. Thanks. Thanks, Christy. That's our podcast for today. If you heard something that was helpful to you, please subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends about us. It's our hope and prayer that our time together might bear fruit in your ministry as you build up the body of Christ. We hope you'll tune in next week. And in the meantime, let's keep serving each other as we together listen listen for for the the word. word.